So I had a good trip. <laughs> this is a uh, classic Turkana staff. Uh, not really classic, though, because it's usually not red, white, and blue at the top and Kenya colors on the bottom. It's usually just regular wood. Uh, but this was a gift to me from the people, the Turkana people of a church named Living Faith Lodwar, your church. I, I will never <laughs> be able to express to you how profound this thing is. It, it may look silly. It looks over the top, loud, grandiose. Um, hey, if the shoe fits, I'm going to wear it, right? <laughs> so there you go. Um, I'll probably touch base on that a little bit in the message today. I know I will. Uh, but really the, jeez, uh, it's hard to not get choked up. Um, I'm really going to get into that trip in the Omega Hour. I encourage you, uh, if you don't come to Omega Hour, this is one you absolutely should come to. Grab a coffee and a snack and just sit down. I've got a handful of pictures and just an overall description of what happened over the last 14 days. It's, this isn't the deep dive into the history of living faith here and Lodwar and, and the whole mission trip and all that kind of stuff. It's not that. This is just this trip. Uh, I'm going to talk to staff, and we're going to try and figure something out, I think, to do a deep dive into this whole Kenya thing. Where did it start? Um, what are the different aspects of it? Where do we work? There's a few different places we do some of that work. We're, we'll get into all of those things, but it, it needs preparation. Uh, it probably needs catering and food uh, to encourage people to stay. It need, needs its own, its own time, but, but this trip was particularly amazing. So uh, I encourage you to hang out afterwards and just get a sense and a feel for what it is that we're doing. But um, that is a bit secondary to what we're talking about today. Uh, but I got to say, man, there's, there's a lot that fits here. So like I said, I will be referencing a little bit. This is Jeremiah chapter one. As Dan said, Jeremiah was called uh, to say the hard things to the people of Israel, um, and he didn't want to. This is the beginning of the first chapter. We've, we've heard, if you read chapter 1 um, all the way up through about verse 13, you've heard the call and the response. Um, and actually, that's incorrect. I, I trimmed it down a little bit because I know it's just a lot of text up there. So we're going to start at verse 13 instead of verse 4, but Sarah should have fixed that. So you should be good. All right, there we go. Um, so this is... Jeremiah 1, beginning at verse 13. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls, all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil and forsaking me. For they have made offerings to other gods and worshiped the works of their own hands. But you dress yourself for work. 
Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. This is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we talked about um, what he said when he called different individuals, and hopefully in that first short sermon series, you got a sense that God calls each and every one of us in some way, shape, or form to do his work in his kingdom. And it just seemed fitting in my mind and, and hopefully guided by the Holy Spirit that there would then be the, the next logical thing, which is as you're called to do these things, to live this life of faith, you're going to get some resistance. And today we're going to talk about the resistance that is personal, personal attacks. But before we get to that, we'll really dive into that in the, in the second point of the sermon today. Before we do that, you have to have a, a bit of a picture of what it is that causes that personal resistance. And basically, the calling of Jeremiah, Dan kind of summarized it nicely, but I have it here uh, as the first point in the sermon. The call of Jeremiah is to say the hard thing out loud. And that's our calling too. What do I mean by that? To say the difficult thing out loud as a Christian is one of our primary callings. And when I say say the hard thing out loud, all I'm saying is to, to speak the truth that we not only see here in Scripture, but the truth that we see with our very eyes. The truth that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We can go to Romans and look at that Bible verse right now. Um, we can look it up and study it and go to the Greek and, and dig in, or you can just look around and go, yeah, the old adage of nobody's perfect. I mean, we say that culturally, we say that in a secular way all the time. Nobody's perfect, right? That's what Paul is saying to the church in Rome is, is everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God. There is nobody who is perfect. Nobody is righteous, not even one. Easy peasy, simple to understand. But now when you say it to somebody, they'll get defensive. Now they know it's true. They know that they're not perfect, but when you put it in a context of theology, church, but really just the concept of God, it, it really gets to people. And they go, you mean there is a, a God who is, who is keeping track is where their mind is going to go. Well, no, that's not exactly what we're saying. We're just saying to, to begin with, we all have to have this understanding that we're sinners, that we're flawed and that we're broken. We have, to, we have to dismantle this sort of myth that's out there. And it's, I mean, there's different kinds of myths even that are out there. One of them is this American mindset where we're always getting better. Now that you know better, do better. You're on your way to being a good person. Or there's the, the myth that is kind of Eastern, but it's snuck its way in 
through like Starbucks conversations or college campuses where people are good people. Oh, I think everybody's a good person if they, they simply had the right background or if, if they had the same advantages that I had or if, if they'd have grown up. But like because of their experience, you know, these things happen. But really, they're a good person. Jesus would say... When, when literally somebody came to him and said, good teacher, he goes, why do you call me good? What's your definition of good? Because if you're using God's definition of good, that would be perfect. I remember when, when he made all this stuff, <laughs> when he created all this stuff, in the six days of creation, resting on the seventh day, he made a perfect thing or group of things each day, and he said, this is good, meaning nothing wrong with it, perfect. Nothing wrong with it at all. Are we saying everybody is born, you know, just a good person? We're saying there's nothing wrong with them? Well, no, of course not. But you see, we've put all of these myths and ideas up kind of as a, a bulwark, a sort of a wall against which we can deny the truth. Put this big wall up in front of this thing so we see all these pretty pictures and stuff. But on the other side of all of that is the truth that we're all sinners. Everybody's imperfect. And what that results in is this common problem that, to my knowledge, everyone has. And that, that common problem is death. And it's right there on the other side. Man, we are good at not looking at it in America, right? Super good at not looking at it. And instead, we, we put up all of these things, and even on those things, we put excellent medical care and, and exercise and good diet and supplements and all these things up. So we, we just pretend like death isn't right on the other side of these things. And when you speak the truth, when you say the hard thing, those things start to come apart, Nobody wants to think about it. Nobody wants to think about the day that they will take their last breath and that they will die. Nobody wants to do that. And so the, the response isn't, well, here's a way we've discovered so that I won't die. <laughs> right? And it's not, it's not out there. The response to that can't be, well, I think if I work really, really hard, eat really well, and really just get my diet tuned up, all that kind of stuff, then I won't die. I mean, nobody is so foolish as to say that. So instead of grappling with it and saying, you're right, this mortal flesh, this mortal coil, uh, as Shakespeare says in Hamlet, this thing will fail. They don't want to look at that. So what will they do? They'll come at you personally. Who are you to tell me that I'm a sinner? Aren't you the guy who, aren't you the woman who, aren't, hang on a second, you're telling me, I, <laughs> I've seen your old Facebook posts, I saw what you put on Twitter when you were in college, right? I actually met one of your old college buddies and we had a conversation, I know some things about you. Or really, I, you think you, your life is so good, right? Look, look at the house you live in. Look at the house I live in. <laughs> look at your station in life, where you are. Look at where I am. These things start to come at us in a personal way. And, and I'm here to tell you, that's good. Because it means 
you've, you've poked in the right spot. So in, in our text this morning, now we can put up there resistance that is personal. In our text this morning, we have Jeremiah simply proclaiming the truth that everybody should be able to see. You're worshiping false idols. How does Jeremiah know that? Well, the Lord told him also, there it is. It's, it's literally an idol they made, and he can go, that one right there. That's not Yahweh. <laughs> this is a cow or an ash or a pole or whatever it is, but you know this is an idol. Like, it's, you built it, and it's an idol. So you know that. And then he, he says, and all of those, those tribes to the north, they're going to they're gonna come get us. And, and you know that's true, not only because the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah and he said that they're coming, but it would take a long time to mobilize those things, and they would have intelligence out there, right? They'd have scouts out there be like, yeah, I mean, they're getting all the chariots and the horses and all the stuff together, so looks like they're coming. But the people still, still came at Jeremiah personally, and he gives us a little bit of a hint as to what the, the personal attack is. I'm young. I'm a youth. Now, here's one of the things I love about these, these trips. Whew, look at that. Spidey reflexes. These trips to Kenya, one of the most valuable things that you don't even know you get from this is people in our church who experience something much closer to the culture and context of the people of Israel. It's so hard to explain. You have to be there. Like, what is it, what is it to have tribalism? Most of us go, I don't know, Iowa versus Iowa State? Like, that's kind of, tri that's tribalism, let's be honest. Not rational, not, not logical. As I always say every year, it's the one football game that, 50 state, well, 49 other states do not care about, and nobody watches except they're inside these borders, right? It doesn't matter, but we get so worked up about it. Tribalism um, is rampant through the Old Testament because we have what? The 12 tribes of Israel, and we have the tribes of those in the north who are coming, and it, it's, it's easy for us to say, okay, tribes, I get it, I get it, I get it, but when we go to Kenya, we work with this tribe, the Turkana people and the Pokat people, and there's some conflict between the two of them, and they live in the same place. <laughs> or we work with um, Luol people and, and Kikuyu people and all these different tribes that aren't gone. They're still very, very active, and they have very different ways of doing things and cultures. They're very different people, but they're all in Kenya, and all, all this really happened is like Western ideas like democracy have been sort of smushed on top of it, but it's still tribalism. And, and just, just experiencing that gives us a better insight. The other thing I always love to say to people is, you've read the Bible with a voice in your head, or you've heard the Bible read by a voice like mine or like Dan's. But if you want to listen to the Bible, if you want to smell and feel the Bible, you have to go back to one of these more ancient cultures and hear the drumming and the singing 
and feel the heat and the dust. You want to know why it's significant that Jesus washes the disciples' feet? Go to Turkana and walk in the dust all day and sit down with the idea that somebody might come by and wash your feet. You'd be like, I would love this person for the rest of my life. <laughs> so it's, it's a whole different thing to experience it. But I, I kind of digress here. The reason why I think this is such a blessing for our particular text to, to read it today with the, the culture of Kenya, and it's not, not Turkana, not Kikuyu, not Lul, not, not Pukat, not all these different tribes, pretty much the continent of Africa. When they talk about youth ministry, when they talk about youth ministry, what do you think? You think like, well, 13-ish to like 18, going on 19-ish, that's youth ministry. No, youth, especially um, in their culture today, but even when you read it in scripture, when you hear that word youth, you should be thinking about 19 to 30 years old. <laughs> That's youth. Imagine youth group. This actually happened once to us. We were over there. We're going to get some youth together, and we need some people to talk about youth and youth ministry, so we're thinking some kids are coming, and these are like 28-year-old dudes, and we're going, what? They're married, and they have kids, and this is the youth group. What is the word youth, and by the way, 19-ish and younger? Those are kids. Kids, youth, adults. The word youth, all it means is still have vigor, still have yeah, that, that full of life and energy. We might even, like today, call it like fighting age. You know, here's, the, here's why I was thinking about how to describe it. It's like this. Um, do you remember when you could eat whatever you want? <laughs> and, and like, so nutrition out the door, you worked out maybe sometimes, but at the drop of the hat, if somebody was like, run over there, you'd be like, yes, and you'd run over there and you'd feel fine. Do you remember when like the day came when someone was like, run over there and you'd run over there and regret it for a week? Yeah, that, that, that's when you go from youth to adult. So youth, Jeremiah could be a 25, 28-year-old dude. It's not like he's a child. It's not like he's... 12, and the word of the Lord comes to him. But it is a real thing in that culture that as you age, your, your opinion and your thoughts are more well-respected. And it's one of the things that we do over there is, is I, I work really hard. I've learned the culture, and I teach the culture to the, the team that's going over. As we're doing things, when an older person stands and speaks, there's great reverence from everybody so opposite of here, right? Here, it's like, what's, what's the new, young, exciting thing? You get a doctor, you want the new, young, just out of, out of med school, really knows their stuff, knows all the new stuff. Over there, it's the opposite. Age and wisdom. And we kind of get that, too. But anyways, I told you, I'm going to keep digressing in all of this. <laughs> but this coming at him for personal reasons this resistance that's personal to him. You're too young. You're, you're violating cultural norms. You're doing all of this wrong. It's got nothing to do with the idols and the tribes and all that organization that's happening to come get and destroy Jerusalem. So you see, resistance that is personal really is a straw man. Because when you say something like everyone is a sinner, 
And that means everybody will die. And there's no way out and around and past this thing other than to be rescued. So God sent his son Jesus to rescue us, to give to us eternal life. Though we die, just as he died, we're baptized into that. And as he is raised from the dead, we too will be raised from the dead on a new heavens and a new earth. This is like a nice, logical answer to the problem of death. Right? It's, it's God did this amazingly, consistently beautiful thing. It's, there's a problem of death, okay, and that's because of sin. So he solves the problem of sin by taking it all, dying, and then he's buried. And in baptism, that's a way that we get buried too, just like he raised from the dead with a new perfect body that'll never die. We'll be raised from the dead. It's, it all makes beautiful sense. And there's, there's nothing in there that seems overly crazy. In my opinion, it takes some faith, right? But it takes more faith in the absurd. It takes more faith in the illogical, irrational, foolish position to go, I'm just not going to think about dying until I die. <laughs> okay. But they won't even really do that. What they'll do is they'll say, oh, really, you're going to tell me about that. And you know you've got them. Because you know that they know that there is no other solution for death. Because you know they know that they are a sinner and that nobody's perfect and that there's no other solution out there. Now, the way I've been saying this so far, I want to be careful because this is not a you versus them in a battle royale to see if you can beat them into submission <laughs> to going to heaven by believing in Jesus. Unbelievers aren't our enemy. They're not. But sometimes unbelievers believe that we're the enemy. It's very asymmetrical like that. Because when you say the hard thing out loud, which is just the truth, when you just say the difficult things out loud, which for, for many of us is so very hard to do, and, and I'm not unsympathetic to that. I get it. I, I know that people struggle to just say the thing that they want to say, that they feel like they should say to this person to, to witness their faith or to just anything about God and theology, church, Jesus. I, I sympathize with that. I do. I get it. It's hard. But when you say the difficult thing out loud, one of the things that we're afraid of is that personal attack and that, that who do you think you are? How dare you say to me this, I knew you when, I saw you when, and all of this personal stuff. But if you stop and think about it for a second, it's really off target when you're shooting at me because it's the word of God I'm saying. It's, it's not my opinion of you. It's not my opinion that you'll die. Right? It's not my opinion that, that you're a sinner. It's not my opinion that you need a savior. This is God's word. So when you're attacking me, if, if an unbeliever is attacking me, believing that I'm attacking them, there's this, this real simple trick. Just imagine in your head, there's a big thing over here, and you go, we're talking about that, not me. We're talking about this, not me. And you can just nod your head and go, yeah, 
<laughs> you were there in college. Oh, no, I did that. <laughs> I, I saw the stuff, too. I wrote the stuff, so I know I said it. And I did all those things. I know. We're not talking about me. And if anything, that's just evidence that I need a Savior as bad, if not worse, than you. But we're talking about this thing over here. And if you, you don't counterattack, you don't come back at them, you just understand it's a defense mechanism because they believe you're attacking. It's so important to understand that when resistance comes our way for trying to live a different life, for trying to answer God's call, for when, when we do or say things that line up with the church, which is just God's manifestation of his kingdom right here, when we do those things, people are going to resist because it naturally challenges them. But don't take it personal. It's not about you. You aren't about you. You're about God's kingdom. And their response isn't about you. Their response, if they are to come at you, if they are to, to resist you with a personal attack, that's still not about you. That's about them. And what's happening is the word of the Lord is having its effect. Let's look at our text just really quick. He says in verse 18, Behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, bronze wall against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, people of the land. They will fight against you. They shall not prevail. When you're speaking the truth of God, it's this impenetrable wall. The Lord describes it as a bronze pillar. And, and imagine insulting a bronze pillar. It doesn't care. Or a wall doesn't care your opinion of it. And the more you attack it and smash against it, the more damage it does to you. People are coming at you and resisting because you hold to the truth of God. You hold to the truth that we need a Savior named Jesus and that he was sent 2,000 years ago. And we believe fervently in our hearts that this is the only hope for the entire world. When you say those things, that word of God is, is impenetrable. I promise you it is. And as they attack, really, they, they smash themselves. Imagine, imagine like banging your head against a wall or running into it. Eventually, you just kind of fall apart. And it's not really what happens, but... <laughs> In the text today, this word, I love this word. It is, uh, do not be dismayed, right? Lest I dismay you in front of them. It's a weird word. It has connotations like fear, uh, connotations of, of terror. Well, you know, dismay. But, but this one has a slightly different connotation to it. It, it means to, like, fall apart, and you know what that's like. Have you ever been so scared you just fall apart? Uh, you don't know what to say. You don't know what to do. You're just falling apart. So God says, don't, don't be so scared you fall apart. Well, you know, unless, if, if you do, I'll, I'll make you fall apart. That's an interesting little turn of words there. But all it really is saying is just, just keep going. Just, just keep going. Man, that should be a motto of this congregation, uh, of this church, of its ministry. Back to verse 17, it says this, But you, living faith Clive, 
I, I mean, this is written for Iowans. This is written for this church. It's written for these people. I just know it sounds weird for me to say that, but listen and you'll hear the character of this congregation. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise, say to them everything I command you. Don't be dismayed. Don't fall apart, lest I make you fall apart. <laughs> get up, get to work. Sounds like farmers, right? Sounds like this community. Get up, go to work, and you keep doing it. Nose to the grindstone. But here's the thing. It's not our work that accomplishes it. This is where the kingdom of God is different. You want to be successful in the world? There's a lot of great wisdom in the get up, go to work. Nose to the grindstone. Keep it going. But what is the work? What is the grindstone that that God is calling for Jeremiah? It is, just keep saying it. Just keep saying it. Keep saying what is true. Keep saying it out loud. The final point is persistence defeats personal resistance. Just keep going. Just keep going. People are going to say you're weird. They're going to say, you, you went to Africa and you didn't dig a well? I mean, all you did was tell people about Jesus? But like you didn't give them food or anything? Well, let me tell you why. Wait, you, you're saying that like you made a, a decision to, to not take a promotion or to not change a career because you found a community? Here and, and like that's is that important? You, know, you could have you could have been rich by now, you could have been a, a partner by now. Or you you took that job, you moved away, and you still remain active in this church. You know, we've got someone, oh, a whole family really, who moved to a different country. And they are active members of this church, and she was on our mission trip. That's crazy. People there will look at them and be like, you guys are crazy. Like, just join one of the churches here. We have those people because it's part of the, the culture of God's kingdom, and I believe it's because these people looking at me today aren't afraid to say the hard thing out loud. I know it's hard at first, and, and I, I remember the day of getting stuck. Like, I, I wasn't born this way. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't always the one who could just say anything and stand up and tell people about Jesus. Don't, don't put me on some kind of pedestal. In fact, I can tell you exactly what happened. I said, I'm going to the seminary, and everybody in my family and all of my friends immediately forgot how to pray, right? <laughs> so I'm going to go to the seminary starting next year, the very next Thanksgiving. It was, well, why don't you pray for us? Like, wait. Two weeks ago, you were the head of the family, always prayed for Thanksgiving dinner. Now, all of a sudden, you know how to do it. Uh, at the wedding, whoa, we don't have anybody else to stand up and do our wedding. Would you mind doing your wedding? You know, the first wedding I did, God bless you, Timmy, I love you, still, still my favorite wedding I've ever done, was just after I graduated from the seminary and was officially ordained. And they're like, we don't have a pastor. Will you do it? Yes. I've only stood up in one wedding my whole life. I have a lot of friends who said, we would love for you to stand up in the wedding, but we would rather have you be the pastor. Fine, it didn't hurt my feelings or anything. I'm just trying to tell you, I've had reps. 
I've had thousands and thousands and thousands of reps. You guys remember when Dan wasn't very good at preaching? <laughs> I mean, before last week. You, <laughs> he said it, not me. <laughs> oh, hang on. Right, thank you, son. I'm going long. This is, this is the, the problem with me preaching after I come back from Kenya. I don't care. Don't care. There was a day after Dan started here, and everybody was like, he's pretty good. He's pretty good. He's pretty good. And then one day, it was like a hockey stick. People were like, that was a great sermon. Oh, that was a great sermon. That was a great sermon. Dan preached such a great sermon. I, I didn't give him more Holy Spirit. I didn't rebaptize him. <laughs> I didn't do any of those things. He got his reps. Persistence. You do it, and then you do it, and then you do it again. You wake up in the morning, so Luther says, you make the sign of the cross, you pray, you remember your baptism, and then you do it again the next day. You do it, and then you do it, and then you do it again. Persistence is a foundational cornerstone in, in the mission of God's church on earth. You go to Kenya once, miserably hot, the travel is awful, and it's a ton of work, and you don't see anything really that comes of it, and you know what you do? You go back. And you do it again, and again, and again, and again. This is Jeremiah's call. In the face of resistance, which is everywhere, you just do it. You stand up, you gird your loins, is what it says in the original text. You array yourself, you get ready for people to say that you're kind of crazy and kind of weird, and you go, I don't care, I'm part of the kingdom of God. People stand up against you and say, that, I don't think any of that's true, I don't think any of that is right, and you know what you do? You say it again and again and again, and it takes years and I really encourage you to stick around for the Omega Hour. What I said to a couple of people today is, we have been planting like good farmers for years, and we've said this is good work. You know, when, the, when you get the field in for the first time, all the seeds go in, you go, that was good. Oh, that felt good. We did something good. We know we put it there. We know we put the word of God in the people there. We know we did this good thing. That was really good. A couple of months go by, and then you go, oh, look at that. <laughs> it's, we're in that phase. We're in that phase, but it's taken 10, 12 years. And we're going, look at this harvest. Look at what God is doing. This is, this is how faith works. Seed planted in baptism. Most of us as children, reps, 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 reps. Keep saying that hard truth. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. Not one of us is on a higher plane than anyone else. Not one of us is in a better position or standing. We all need this Savior, Jesus. And there happens to be some people who don't know it yet. All the way to the ends of the earth in Turkana, right across the street in Clive. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for uh, the gift of your kingdom and that when resistance comes, even when it is personal, we can know 
that your truth stands. No matter what anybody says of me, uh, this people, this church, or anything else, we know your word stands. Thank you, Christ Jesus, for being the cornerstone of this congregation, the truth that is for all of us, the way, the truth, and the eternal life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Receive the benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.